If your life was paired with a musical soundtrack, what would it sound like? Superhumans. 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 I'm your host, Gotham Galati, better known as Dr. G. As someone who once prescribed pills, I now prescribe stories as a form of medicine. In today's episode, we bring you a beautiful love story but not the type you're probably thinking. It's an exploration with self, with God, and with music. It's a meandering symphony that oscillates between the high notes and the low notes. It was something about the cello that that really resonated with me. I don't know, there was a lot of resemblance in the human voice, almost as if it had its own soul. I immediately knew that we would be lifelong friends. <laughs> That's how I felt, even at that, that, young, that young age. Everyone has a collection of songs representing the story of their life. Just like we have 26 letters in the alphabet to help us craft the language that we call stories, we too have only 12 notes in an octave to help shape an infinite possibility of music. Our superhuman storyteller, Kendall Ramser takes us on two parallel journeys on witnessing one's life. One is through his voice and narrating his story. And the other is shared through his original musical composition that you'll hear throughout this episode. As you listen, think about how you see yourself in Kendall's story. Before we hit play, just a quick word of caution. Do not consider this medical advice please consult with a health professional should you need medical attention. See you on the other side of the story. Um, music was always in my household. You know, I can say that... Um, I don't know if it, you know, in the moment, if I felt like, you know, I'm being introduced to music, but it was more of, it was just a part of who we were. It was a part of the atmosphere. Um, There was always sound and song. So I remember, you know, hearing my mom sing or my dad DJing and then me going to my room and, you know, beginning to hum, hum tunes. was 10 I was in the fifth grade and uh, that was that that golden year when students were able to choose you know something outside of the recorder so (laughs) um, you know we had to make a decision would it be um, the violin the viola 
the cello or the bass. You know, the music teacher gave a little demonstration of, of uh, you know, how each one sounded. And I remember hearing the violin. I thought it was beautiful, but, um, you know, it was a little... I don't know if it was the way he was playing it. I don't know, but it was a little, it was a little screechy. Then he went over to the bass, and I thought to myself, like, man, like, to be honest, it was beautiful, uh, but it, just realistically, it was too large, and I couldn't carry it onto the bus. So that was that was out. And then there was the the cello. Um, it was something about the cello that that really resonated with me. I don't know, there was a lot of resemblance in the human voice, which reminded me of my mother, who would sing around the house. There was such a richness, richness in the the instrument, almost as if it had its own soul. So he played the cello, and I immediately knew that that would be the instrument that I would use to tell my story, to express myself. We would be lifelong friends. <laughs> That's how I felt even at that, that, young, that young age. I remember being in in the different youth orchestras and noticing that there weren't many people that looked like me. There weren't many kids that looked like me. You know, I was probably one of, let's see, if it was maybe a, um, you know, 70 to 90 piece orchestra, I would maybe be one of four, (laughs) you know, African-Americans in the orchestra. So that was, um, that was challenging. I remember there was a young lady, um, you know, she looked over at me and she said, orchestras like this aren't for people like you. I remember hearing that and thinking, like, what in the world does she mean? And, um, you know, the excitement that I, I felt was still there, um, but it had been tainted just a little bit. Um, what did she mean by that? I don't want to say I was completely oblivious to, uh, you know, prejudice or racism. Um, but again, I didn't really um, internalize it until a few years later.
But that year, all the students were taking on a field trip to hear Yo-Yo Ma perform the Schumann Cello Concerto with the Charlotte Symphony Orchestra. And I was super excited. Uh, it was a dream come true. I just remember just hearing this sea of string instruments and it was just, oh gosh, it was just such an amazing feeling. Eventually the um, concert master comes out and then out comes Yo-Yo Ma with his, with his cello. And I remember looking over at my, my classmates and all of us, you know, eyes wide open, mouths wide open, and you know, we're just, this is amazing. And I remember there was a, a point in the concerto where um, the soloist has, a, I guess, a bit of a duet with the principal cellist. And it was just so amazing seeing that conversation taking place, not verbally, but musically. And it was there that I realized, whoa, like, music can be used to communicate with someone from different culture, um, different language, um, just completely different background. You know, the way they, they communicated musically, it was as if they were lifelong friends. But, you know... Honestly, they had really, they probably had only met each other once, right? Once or twice at the, <laughs> at the, uh, the, the rehearsal and then the dress rehearsal. Um, they were able to tell this beautiful story together. Um, and that just blew me away. So I left the concert knowing that I had chosen the right instrument. <laughs> Kept working my way through high school <laughs> and um, eventually I had to figure out if I was going to pursue music in college. There was a bit of a struggle, you know, technology engineering was something I was very passionate about um, and music, of course, you know, there was no doubt there. And so I remember going to my private a cello instructor and kind of, you know, just sharing my dilemma. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, you know, I told her, you know, I'm very passionate about music, but you know, there's also great interest in, in engineering. And I said, what do you recommend for me? You know, I've been coming in here week after week for a couple of years now. Um, you've heard me play, you know, my level, my, that, um, level of technique, musicality, um, just all of that. You've seen the whole, the whole package. And she said, Kendall, I would not recommend majoring in music. She said, I wouldn't recommend pursuing that. And I was like, wait a minute, what, what do you mean? You, you know, you're a, a cellist. She's in the Charlotte Symphony Youth Orchestra performing just beautiful pieces every week. How could you say that? What do you mean? Um, of course I, I express this in less words than that, but, um, uh, she said, you know, it's not that you're not talented enough, but us orchestra musicians, we're always fighting, you know, we're always fighting to, uh, get the pay 
that we feel that we deserve. We're constantly on strike, you know. So she said, Kendall, go home and think about it, but only choose music if you feel like you can't live without it. I went home and, uh, you know, really thought about it. And, um, you know, it was soon after that, I wrote this piece called How Far I've Come. And um, at that time, the uh, poet uh, Maya Angelou was on the board at our school. And she literally lived maybe 10 minutes, five, 10 minutes from um, where I was living at the time in Winston-Salem. And so, you know, I've written this piece and, um, you know, I had heard she was celebrating a birthday. I presented the piece to um, the chancellor at the time and said, hey, look, you know, I wrote this piece for Maya Angelou. I would love to share it with her. And um, he said, well, you know, let's see if we can make that happen. And, you know, I played through it for him and he was like, this is really beautiful. Yeah, let's, let's see. And so um, he reached out to them and he got back in touch with me and said, Kendall, you won't believe this, but uh, she has invited you over for tea. And so <laughs> I go in my, um, I pack up my cello and I get into my, I had this super old Infinity Q45. And I don't know if, if you know one of those cars, it's very boxy. The power steering was going out on that thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, every time I got in that car, I felt like I needed to pray, you know, if the steering wheel wouldn't turn or the, <laughs> if it was too cold and, you know, the windows would fog up because I didn't, oh, it was just, just a mess. But I got in this car and cello in the back and I drive, you know, I have the address and I drive to her, her home, a beautiful yellow home. And uh, I pull in, um, along with, uh, you know, around the same time my chancellor arrived and, you know, we get out of the car, we both get out of the car and he's like, Kendall, are you ready? And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, no, not at all. You know, this is, this is amazing. I can't even believe this is happening. And, you know, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, performance anxiety, please don't visit me today. This would just be tragic. So <laughs> we get there and um, we walk in and there's Maya. Sitting on a, in one of the chairs in her, her front room. And I'm thinking, I cannot believe that I'm here. That she invited me over right next to her. was her her coffee table and on it sat a picture of of her along with uh, Gail and Oprah Winfrey and um, I remember sitting down and I was so nervous and uh, we, we, we talked and she was so down to earth 
every word was just laced with love and wisdom. So then she asks me to uh, share my piece with her. And uh, I go on to tell her the name of it and I share how um, this is my story and I hope that it resonates with you. And I remember playing and oh, I was so my hands were shaking, but I said, so Kendall, you have to suck this up. You have to do this. And so I, I played through this piece and um, I was afraid to look up, but I, I, I looked up and I glanced and I noticed that a tear was falling from her, from her eyes. Very, very special afternoon. And so I finished the piece and, you know, she shared what the piece reminded her of and the, the images that came to mind, the stories that came to mind. And then she began to sing. And um, she sung this old Negro spiritual and I remember just, just hearing that image. Oh, it was just so soothing. And I just felt like I was in heaven, you know? It was just <laughs> so special. And um, so afterwards, we, we sipped our tea and, um, you know, we talked. Then it was time, time to go. And I remember giving her the biggest hug and her just thanking me. For, for coming and, and sharing with her that afternoon. <clears throat> and as I walked out with uh, the chancellor, her niece walked us out and she said, Kendall, thank you so much. When you were playing, there were parts of me being healed that I didn't even know needed healing. And that's when I began to understand even more the healing power of music and I think it became more ingrained as a part of my mission um, at that at that moment so um, I got back in my um, box car and drove home <laughs> Just thinking, did that really just happen? Um, and it did. So I went home and uh, you know called my folks, told them about that amazing experience, and they were they were just so thrilled. But I had to make a decision. Um, I thought about how music brought me so much peace and comfort and healing. Those countless hours of uh, practicing and 
Um, there's so much time, um, so much heart that I had poured out. learned so much. I learned how to communicate even more effectively with my instrument. And oh my goodness, I, uh, I would spend so much time in those practice rooms. Um, you know, they would say that you shouldn't be there till after, you know, 12 o'clock, 12 a.m. was the cutoff, but I found myself going back to my dorm around 2 a.m. almost every night. And so after classes, I would uh, practice for another five hours. So there was a time I was practicing about eight hours a day. Um, but oh, I love those, those evenings. It was so quiet. And um, just me and my cello. And I, um, I think through those times of, of solitude, um, working through my emotions, my feelings through the instrument, trying to connect with the composers of these pieces. Um, those, those, those moments were sacred to me. And I, I feel like in all of that solitude and stillness and, um, and love for the instrument, for music. I feel like it's there that I learned how to hear the voice of God. I know that sounds weird, but, <laughs> but it was something, something about the stillness that, um, the silence that, um, it's like a direct connection or channel with the creator, a union takes place and, um, almost feel as if you're floating at times, you know. Um, you lose track of time. So I think that's how I was able to stay in there for eight hours. <laughs> you know, it's like the security guards having to, to knock on the doors and tell me to go home, you know. <laughs> uh. So my relationship with the cello deepened. Um, I thought about how music brought me so much peace and comfort and healing. I thought about um, the close friendship that I had developed with my cello these stories that were, were told on and through that instrument. 
the stories of uh, of pain. stories of, uh, of joy, the stories that I told with the hope that I could bring comfort and healing to others, I had to choose music. <laughs> We hear Kendall end his story by saying, I had to choose music. But in contemplating the truth of this relationship, we also see early on that music chose Kendall. We may all be familiar with the resistance of having to make tough choices in life. But Kendall shows us what happens when we simply allow the truth of who we are to determine the path of who we become. There's so much more to Kendall's story that we captured, but haven't published. Like his experience performing as the principal cellist in the Grammy Award Orchestra. Or competing as a finalist in America's Got Talent. Or the stories of busking in the subway system just to get by. And even later, participating in the creation of the nationally acclaimed and billboard charting quartet known as Sons of Serendip. Throughout all of his work, it's clear Kendall allows the healing power of music to be his guide. You can find all of his works in the show notes, as well as his website. His music is widely available through Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, or anywhere else music can be found. Kendall, we are incredibly grateful to you for sharing your story and original music composition with all of us. Here to tell you more about what we have going on at Superhumans is our senior producer and show co-creator, Pamela Rothenberg. So one of the things that Dr. G and I think about is how much trust and vulnerability our storytellers are offering to you and to us when they give us their truth. And so if any one, two, ten, however number many stories, if any of these stories have impacted you in a way where you wish you could tell the storyteller what it means to you, we would love nothing more than to receive your letters and to share them here on the show and to share them with our beloved storytellers. So here's one. They said... I wanted to tell you I loved the last Superhumans podcast. It was amazing. 
It brought me to tears several times. I know the effects of trauma on our lives can't be underestimated and how some of us barely manage to live with it while others don't. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. So you can send us a letter, write us a note at superhumans.health at gmail.com. That's superhumans.health at gmail.com. In our next episode, you'll hear from professional skydiver Melanie Curtis as she shares her journey using fear as life's greatest motivator. So when I jumped and when I landed and I was not dead, it sounds so ridiculous, I... It it changed my psyche in a really irreversible way. There's nothing like, there's nothing like it to leave an aircraft in flight, to open a parachute and to land it of your own power. It's, it's, it, it boggles my mind even still today. We want to thank you for subscribing. And if you haven't yet, We'd be so thankful if you could leave us a review to help new listeners discover how story can be a form of medicine. Superhumans is made with love by a tribe of creative artists. Our senior producer and show co-creator is Pamela Rothenberg. Sound engineering and design is provided by Rob Spate. Pre-production audio engineering is provided by Jay Wujun Yao. Our original theme music is composed by Daniel Brunel. And a special thanks to our creative collaborators, Hatch. From Well Played, I'm Dr. G, and you are loved.